Hi, everyone. I'm Cindy Mooring, the founder and executive chair of the Business Integrity Leadership Initiative at the Sam M. Walton College of Business. And this is The Biz, the Business Integrity School podcast. Here, we talk about applying ethics, integrity, and courageous leadership in business, education, and most importantly, your life today. I've had nearly 30 years of real world experience as a senior executive. So if you're looking for practical tips from a business pro who's been there, then this is the podcast for you. Welcome, let's get started. Hi, everybody. It is my pleasure to introduce to you today a very special guest. We have Richard Bestrong with us today. He is the CEO of Frontline Anti-Bribery. In a prior life, he was the international sales VP for a manufacturer of law enforcement and military defense products and has had quite a career from corruption to compliance. And what we're going to spend our time talking about today is some of the current real-life events that we are all facing in compliance and ethics because of COVID and the systemic racism issues and how we kind of all deal with that as we start to come out of the pandemic. So Richard, welcome and thank you for being here today. So Richard, before we jump into to some of the questions about what's going on today, could you just tell us a little bit about yourself and what you're doing as CEO of Frontline Anti-Bribery? Sure, Cindy, and thank you for the invitation to join you today. It's a pleasure to join both the student, the compliance, and the business communities, uh, and for our viewers. So my journey, as you shared, has been from corruption to compliance. I spent 10 years as an international sales executive. For over 10 years, Cindy, I was overseas an average of 250 days a year. Wow. Pretty much the world. I I lived in the United Kingdom for part of that time. And uh, at the end of that decade, it was marked by me being the target of a criminal investigation, which started at the United Nations in their oil for food investigation. And that ultimately ended up with the findings of that investigation being shared with my former employer And in part, that was one of the reasons why I was terminated in 2007, just to sort of timestamp this a little bit. But the UN investigators also turned over their findings to the Department of Justice. So I became the subject or the target of a criminal investigation. And as you know, in the United States, you have two choices when you get that call. Um, One is go to trial. You're innocent until proven guilty. Right. And the other is to cooperate. And and Cindy, I did it. So um, I wasn't about trying to delay justice or to challenge the government's evidence. I, I wanted to face justice. So I cooperated with the Department of Justice and also prosecutorial authorities of the United Kingdom, because uh-huh. as I showed being there. And that period of cooperation ended in 2010. And ultimately, I got sentenced in 2012, 14 and a half months in federal prison, returning home in December of 2013. And that's when I started to dive into the, to the compliance field. And I saw this very wonderful, robust, well-experienced discourse on compliance from a 
regulatory, a legal, a forensic, and an audit perspective. But what I didn't see, Cindy, is a voice of what it's like out there, what it's right. like to be tasked with commercial success in what we know are some pretty volatile and high-risk regions. Mm -hmm. So I started just on a very simple blog, sharing my story and my journey. And that's now taken me all over the world in my frontline anti-bribery practice. And it's just been an honor and a pleasure that I could not have imagined, you know, six years ago sitting in a federal prison cell. Yeah. Well, it is definitely a, I think, unique perspective that you bring, a needed perspective, because you have been on the front lines and you've been on the firing lines and you've made some mistakes and now you're on the side of trying to help others not make the same mistakes. So I appreciate you sharing, sharing that part of your journey. So that's, that's wonderful. So you mentioned a blog, which is where you started and you recently just wrote um, another blog for the FCPA blog. And it had to do with a couple of uh, HBR articles, both of which have just come out. And, and um, I thought you did a really nice job of weaving those two together. And it's, so let's talk about that for, a minute. The two HBR articles were about emerging from a crisis, and we are in a crisis right now because we are actually more than one crisis. We've got the global pandemic, and we also have the racism uh, crisis sort of here in the U.S., another pandemic right now affecting the world as well. And then there's also Max Baseman's article, which he recently came out with uh, in the Harvard Business Review about a new model for ethical leadership. And where I want to start the conversation with you is talking about what you described as, and actually I think it was in the Emerging from a Crisis article, the tyranny of the present. And what do you think that means? And what is it going to look like on the other side of the pandemics? So part of the tyranny of the present um, in this particular HBR article is about uncertainty. And, you know, uncertainty, Cindy, I didn't really think about it this deeply until I read that article. It's, we have nothing com to compare this to. This isn't like the recessions of the past. This isn't like other health crises that we've had in the past. There's, there's no context from which we can sort of level set how we emerge. So, we're really in challenging times. And I think what that means from an ethics and compliance perspective is we really need to think about our decisions ahead. We really need to solicit feedback from the front lines, the people who are going to face these new risks, whether that's on the commercial selling side or on the supply chain buying side. Our new world will not emerge evenly and risks will not emerge evenly. So I think we have to be careful that in our rush to regain market share, to, to get our business back, that we don't allow the tyranny of the present to overwhelm what's in everyone's long-term interests and we avoid the hazards of short-term thinking. Yeah, so we will emerge from the pandemic at some point, but to, to, to your other point, it's not 
going to look the same as it did before. There, it is a new normal and there are going to be new risks, but there's also going to be this unevenness, if you will, with companies trying to get back to business. And so there's going to be some pressure uh, involved in that. And so what do you think are some risks that will be the same in terms of pressure, whether it's the new pressure um, or similar to what the old pressures were that business leaders need to watch out for when we emerge? Okay, so let, let's separate that out into, I think, two different groups of risk. And I, I know what it's like to face market headwinds. You know, not every year is a good year and, you know, there are mark, market cycles. Now, that's nothing compared to what we have now. So what we have now is a workforce that is stressed, anxious, and uncertain about the future. And Cindy, when you, when you add all that up, when you talk about what I call career changing moments, when someone might have another, a new supervisor, a new role, new goals, a new compensation plan, right. organizational change. Cindy, any one of those, what research has demonstrated can lead to an increase in workforce misconduct and a decrease in workforce engagement. Because from my perspective, during those times, people think about three things, me, me, and me, <laughs> right? So if we know that sort of pressure exists, I think we need as compliance leaders, and we'll talk about the business side after, but as yes. compliance leaders, we need to proactively address it and affirmatively address it. So that's a situation where if no one's calling you for help, that requires proactive outreach. And I'm not always talking about a sophisticated Zoom room or webinar. It could literally just mean picking up the phone, asking how someone's doing, maybe sharing your own vulnerabilities and how you're managing through the crisis, and just to constantly reinforce to the workforce that you're there to help them. That the only problem that you can't help them fix is the one that they keep to themselves. And there's a wonderful book, uh, The Fearless Organization by Amy Edmondson. Yes. And one of the points that I love that she makes is the more we're reaching out to each other when there's not a problem, the more likelihood there is that someone will reach out to their support teams when they do face an ethical dilemma and a problem is at hand. So I think that's half of the bucket is this uncertainty that can lead people in the wrong direction has to be affirmatively addressed that no news doesn't mean good news. Right. So what about from the business leaders perspective? So this is so important now, Cindy, is from my former commercial self, when business leaders are setting ethical expectations and being clear that a license to succeed isn't a license to cheat or take a shortcut, that it sends such a loud and unspoken message that here, responsible and ethical business practices 
aren't a support function, it's how we conduct ourselves. So I think passive leadership right now, where leaders are not very clear about setting ethical and integrity expectations, that that's the enemy of success. Mm -hmm. So this is the time when the voice of business leadership really needs to sound loud when it comes to setting those ex expectations. And it's not like compliance leaders are in the same offices right now as their business peers. So I think it may be a time to be more than just virtually present in the life of your business peers. You may have to virtually intervene <laughs> to make sure they are addressing these risks. Yeah, those are good points. So I, I really hear two things there that I think are super important and I want to emphasize is one, the relational aspect that there still is to business and how important it is to have and to build those relationships between organizations like ethics and compliance and the frontline managers in the good times because it will end up like you said that amy mentioned in her book that it it pays off when there's actually a problem because they already know who you are and they'll if you're in ethics and compliance and the business leaders will be more likely to reach out so that's one i think super important message the other one that i i i I think I hear you saying, but I don't want to put words in your mouth, is that between the two voices, ethics and compliance, or an individual's own business manager, their own leader, the leader's voice is louder to an employee than the ethics and compliance voices are. Is that right? Well, I didn't invent the rule that the people that we tend to listen to the most are our supervisors, right? <laughs> right. And, and I mean, it only makes sense, but it goes so much to the point of why it is important that ethics and compliance be operationalized and really owned and, and lived out, if you will, by the frontline business managers. Um, because, you know, there's a lot of research that also shows anytime uh, an employee even has a question, the one they're most likely to go to is somebody who's in their business chain. And ethics and compliance is there for support as well and need to be, absolutely, because there are times when, when people don't feel comfortable reaching out. But um, knowing that, that they're primarily going to reach out to their business leaders just impresses upon me the importance of the point you made about how business leaders need to say this is how we do business ethics and compliance isn't just a support function so i think that's an important point yeah and cindy you know in our compliance discourse there's no shortage of discussion about tone at the top and we know that tone at the top is irreplaceable but it can also be aspirational if left that way and I think that's also where we have to think about the middle of the organization because it's those regional managers that are the ones that the line workforce is turning to for help. And those are the folks that have the volume controls on getting the business done and the volume control on the importance of how business gets done. So if there's ever a ring of management during a time of crisis that's critical to the success of the enterprise, one ethical decision at a time, it's that band of mid-level management. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That's absolutely true. And it can't just be aspirational. I mean, where, 
where the rubber meets the road is in the middle of that pack. And for those who are at the bottom actually having to execute against it. So that's critical. So let's turn for a minute and talk about um, Max Bazerman's article, but in the, in the context of the new statement and pronouncement that um, has been out now for about a year from the business roundtable about what the real purpose of a corporation is and that, you know, they changed their position after 22 years and have said, you know, it's not just to serve the shareholders, it's actually to serve all of the stakeholders. And in fact, they mentioned ethics in that statement and, and say, you, you know, in addition to your stakeholders, one of them are your suppliers and dealing ethically with your suppliers. Of course, they also mentioned employees and communities and, you know, in, in addition to the shareholders. So let me ask you this, do you, do you think that uh, in Max Mazer, Bazerman's view of uh, the new model for ethical leadership, that it aligns with what the Business Roundtable's new pronouncement is? I think generally speaking, yes. Uh, the, the question is, and I think Bazerman gives us a, a bit of a roadmap, is, is how we get there. Um, because you know, once again, going back to my former commercial self, you know, folks, whether they're on the supply chain side or on the selling side, I mean, they need a very clear definition of what success means. Because mm -hmm. to be general about it and not to have accountability of what success means, means that everyone's responsible and maybe no one's responsible. Right. The economy very interesting you know editorial about this is those again are wonderful aspirational goals but but how do we make people accountable for them and we've seen certain industries um, in this particular crisis that engaged in what we might think of as lawful but awful behavior and paid a reputational price for engaging in conduct that they weren't thinking about how it was going to impact all their stakeholders. So again, wonderful aspirational goals. Now the question is, how do we get there? And from your workforce perspective, can you define success to them? That's a much greater challenge. Mm -hmm. What are some of those examples that come to your mind where they missed the mark? The companies missed the mark at the, this moment in the pandemic that you were just mentioning? Well, we've seen in, you know, the news uh, in the United States with respect to meat and poultry packing, how a number of organizations weren't thinking about the health and safety and welfare of their employees from a regulatory perspective. They were allowed to return to work and look at what happened, Got it. right? Yeah. Um, Bloomberg had a pretty tough article about the, the cruise line or the cruise ship industry where, you know, they knew what was going on, yet, you know, I think the title of the article, yet the party went on, mm -hmm. right? So in that case, they weren't looking out for the health and welfare of their customers. Mm -hmm. So again, yet another example of lawful but awful conduct where organizations weren't thinking about, well, just because we can do this, does it mean we should? Right, right, right. 
So, so the Wall Street Journal recently reported that some boards have created uh, resilience scorecards, if you will, for uh, how to how to essentially judge a CEO on how well they did their their job this past year. I think we'd all be crazy to think that anybody that set goals in January didn't have to seriously look back at them and probably modify them after the pandemic hit. So they are focusing more on, um, some boards have started to focus more on what does a resiliency scorecard look like uh, for a CEO. And obviously you would hope that that would trickle down throughout um, an organization and, and more into the senior leadership. When you think about it from that perspective and coming out of this, you know, current tyranny of the you know current events that we have right now what ethics and compliance aspects would you hope that boards are considering in a resilience scorecard that's a great question cindy and i think part of it is going to be or much of it is going to be around timelines so i believe there's a critical relationship between resiliency and how long we're taking to get there. So, you know, if boards are expecting a rapid recovery, what are the implications of that speed on the business mm -hmm. for people who are selling and for people who are buying, right? Both the supply chain procurement and commercial personnel. So the, the Financial Times has a great series that's called FT Moral Money, where they're addressing these issues, you know, almost on a daily basis, because it's a lot easier to stand for resiliency when the wind is at your back, right? And you've got budgetary room to take some of these initiatives. You have the time and the resources for training and for different programs and for resourcing, you know, CSR and ESG functions. Now, what happens when there's major reductions to OPEX? Right. It's a lot more difficult to stand up and build those programs when you're facing market headwinds. So this will be an interesting time. And I think you're, I think you're absolutely right. I think the boards are gonna have to show some real leadership and one of the things to look at is where are we cutting OPEX and what are our timelines and reasonable times to get back up to speed? And how are we gonna pay people to do that? Yeah, yeah. So as we think about coming out of this current moment that we're in, and moving forward, of course, we've got students in universities, or not in universities, but attending universities all over uh, the world right now. We're dealing with this, this current situation, and they are the business leaders of the future. So what would you say to the universities right now about the three most important things that they should be doing to help create ethical business leaders in the future to deal with the new normal? I mean, I think part of it is giving students real world risk dilemma workshops, right? To, to, to bring them through the what actually happens, 
I think a complement to that is, you know, real world case studies and to, you know, have programs, courses, guest lectures that help them understand how to embed risk and how to embed resilience, sustainability into business practices. So, you know, we've got a whole generation of students, whether they're coming through law, undergraduate business programs that have such a unique opportunity as future leaders, you know, while time is on their hands is to really understand how these issues operate in the real world and to think about what might look that might look like to them when they go out into the workforce. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I think part of this and I talked about this in the FCPA blog article, Cindy, is we just need to slow down. There's just going to be such, I think, a business call to move quickly. And that's what concerns me the most. And I talked about this on a personal level when I got home from prison, was wanting to move too quick and too fast Mm -hmm. and not thinking about, you know, what should I be doing in the long term here? And I think that's applicable for compliance, commercial business leaders, and for students to think about as well. Mm-hmm. So they, it sounds like they need to be um, also trained to and educated on how to ask the right questions today in the business world that are going to be different than they were before. So it, in my view, I don't really see it as an either or, like how do we, how do we meet our numbers this quarter or how do we be ethical and do that in the right way? But almost thinking about it, you know, it, it, it's all together. How do we create the most value and do that in a way that is, you know, going to meet the numbers that we, that we want to meet as a business, but do it so it creates value for all of our shareholders and hold those things, the tensions that may be created together uh, in balance and, and not try to think about it as an either or. So that almost comes to me back to the point of figuring out how to ask the right questions. And, and I think right there, you just synthesize one of the greatest challenges that there is, which is people, the former Richard Bistrongs, feeling like they are in the crosshairs of competing corporate objectives between the pressure to succeed and the pressure to comply. Now, Cindy, I think that it's inevitable that as we get back to business, values are going to get challenged, right? That's inevitable. Ethical decisions are going to be very complex. So how can we make sure that everyone appreciates and understands that we never have to sacrifice integrity to succeed or to think as an individual, ethical decision-making is delegated to me on my own. Right. So part of that is making sure that those business pressures and those business goals and the side effects of those, because an incentive and an objective is like a prescription medication. They all have side effects, Cindy, and they, they take effect the day you put those objectives and incentives in place. And our compliance leaders are, and not just compliance, I'm talking about HR, finance, our support functions together when you're talking about what the next phase of business is going to look like to make sure that the side effects of our commercial decisions 
are aligned with our values, our culture, and our compliance programs. Even the Department of Justice in their recent and the one before that iteration in the evaluation of corporate compliance programs, they state, are you considering the compliance implications of your reward systems? Right. So people don't feel like they're in the middle of those competing corporate objectives. And that's, that's another, that's where the rubber hits the road moment. Yeah. Yeah. And, and they shouldn't be viewed as competing uh, really and they should be seen as how do we hold those two objectives in a complementary way. So, you know, the other thing yeah. I think that is um, going to be challenging for our students, but, but in a good way. And once they get out of the business world is this force disruption has really advanced technology in ways that may have taken four or five years, had it not been for the force disruption that, that COVID has uh, kind of forced upon all of us to, to kind of leapfrog over some inventions. It's sort of like when India leapt over landlines and went straight to mobile phones. And so I think that our business leaders of the future are going to be on the front lines of thinking about business decisions that have moral and ethical and values implications that um, we can't even think about yet today. So as opposed to prescriptions, it, it comes back to, again, how do we help educate them to ask the right questions when they're faced with a path that no one has, no one has, has created the road for that path before. They'll be blazing the trail. And, and Mary Gentile, who you've interviewed, gives us such a wonderful roadmap for that, right? Which is to unpack those inev inevitable ethical dilemmas in a safe spot, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. And to start the about what the future will look like, you know, on a Zoom room or when we're all back together, you know, together in a, a conference room and to think about what those decisions might look like and to discuss what are the paths to success before we're in the middle of that risk. That's why I'm such a fan of her work yeah. is if we it's inevitable. Why do we have to wait till we're in the middle of it to figure it out? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Well, Richard, this has been a great conversation. Thank you so much for taking the time with us today. I do have some fun questions that I like to wrap up with just so everybody can get to know you a little bit personally. What about a fun that you've read for fun book or movie or podcast you've listened to for fun, but that had a really engaging sort of ethical or moral dilemma attached to it? So I, oh my gosh. I mean, I, I, what I really enjoy are books that are not written like specifically about compliance, but that have tremendous compliance implications. Right. To me, that's really a lot of fun. Uh -huh. So like the culture map, for example, is a foundational compliance book from yeah. my perspective to understand how different teams from different cultures might relate to one another. There is a great book called Fusion by Denise Leon, which is about how brand, great brands have fused together like outward facing marketing messages with internal culture. Mm. Now that was really a book written for marketing and business leaders, 
but it's another wonderful foundational compliance book. So I really enjoy when I, when I find a little nugget of, I wasn't expecting this to be a compliance book, but yet it has real compliance value. I just love when I stumble on those gems. Yeah, I agree with you. Uh, and it's really kind of the new way of thinking about it. it. Ethics and compliance should be embedded into just the basic operationalized business processes. And so when you find that gem in a book that was meant for marketing, it, it speaks to the hearts of the ethics and compliance professionals. So that's great. Well, Richard, this has been a fabulous conversation. I really enjoy you taking the time with us today to share your views on all of this and best of luck to you as we get through this period of time here so that we can hopefully start traveling again. And the same to you, Cindy. So thank you for your time. It's been a pleasure to share and exchange perspectives today. Absolutely. All right. Thank you, Richard. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to today's episode of The Biz, The Business Integrity School. You can find us on YouTube, Google, SoundCloud, iTunes, or wherever you find your podcasts. Be sure to subscribe and rate us. And you can find us by searching The Biz. That's one word, T-H-E-B-I-S, which stands for The Business Integrity School. Tune in next time for more practical tips from a pro.